Welcome to JPAM's Closer Look podcast. I'm your host, Seth Gershenson of American University, and I'll be talking to leading authors published in the Journal of Policy Analysis and Management on a variety of timely policy issues related to healthcare, education, environmental policy, immigration reform, economics, and more. The Journal of Policy Analysis and Management is currently hosted by the School of Public Affairs at American University, which also generously supports this podcast. American University's SPA, or School of Public Affairs, is the number 10th ranked School of Public Affairs in the nation by U.S. News, the number 4th ranked school in public management, number 8 in nonprofit management, and number 16 in both public policy and public finance and budgeting. The chief editor of JPAM is Erdal Tekin, also a professor of public policy at American University. Hi, everybody. Our guests today are Drs. Rachel Baker, who is an associate professor in the Penn Graduate School of Education, and McCall Kurlander, who is a professor in the UC Davis School of Education. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Nice to be here. Really happy to have both of you here. Today, we're going to talk about your forthcoming publication in JPAM entitled Improving the Community College Transfer Pathway to the Baccalaureate, the Effect of California's Associate Degree for Transfer. This article is co-authored with another researcher, Elizabeth Friedman, who is a research fellow also at the UC Davis School of Education. As the title mentions, uh, you studied the impact of something called an Associate Degree for Transfer, or ADT. What is an ADT? And how is that different from what a typical associate's degree might look like? Yeah, thank you, Seth. Um, So the Associate Degree for Transfer, or the ADT, is an articulated transfer pathway between California community colleges and the California state universities. California community college students who get an ADT in a particular program or major earn 60 units that meet the general education as well as the lower division major requirements, so they can graduate within two years of transferring to a CSU campus. This is not necessarily the case with a typical associate's degree, where required courses may or may not overlap with transfer requirements. So students often transfer with more units than they need and actually could take longer to complete a bachelor's degree. So a typical associate degree takes two years to complete. A typical bachelor degree takes four years to complete. But I guess sometimes a typical associate might not feed in perfectly to that four-year degree, so you end up taking more than four years to graduate. And, and that's, the, that's the problem that the ADT is solving? That's exactly right. So the ADT students are actually guaranteed a okay. junior status when they arrive and not have to repeat those lower division courses. I can see why that would be appealing to students uh, in in terms of saving time and and tuition money, but but it's also probably beneficial to the schools as well in just making that transfer progress uh, more efficient, I so on, I assume. And so this transition from a two-year degree to a four-year degree, I guess also from a two-year campus to a four-year campus, why is that transition so important? And, and how many people are making that transition? Yeah, so in California, two-thirds of BA intending students actually start their college education at a community college. And that composition of community college entering students is heavily represented by first-gen students, uh, first-generation students, lower-income students. And so improving the transfer pathway is really an important goal for reducing inequality and in BA attainment overall. 
Okay. And BA degrees, or I guess bachelor degrees in general, uh, BA is Bachelor of Arts, BS is Bachelor of Science. Why are are four-year degrees so important generally? I assume they're more lucrative than a a two-year degree in terms of the returns in the labor market. But why else are they important? Yeah, I think you actually mentioned the biggest one, which is that we do believe that the importance for uh, labor market outcomes is really at the BA level. They're important gateway to social mobility for students, as many of them who are first in their families to attend college. And so we know that the growing kind of earnings differential has really been for among those who receive a bachelor's degree. It's also really important protection for employment, right? In the Great Recession, we know those who had a bachelor's degree were heavily protected. So it's a really important entry into the for both individual and for you know societal benefits to the obtaining a bachelor's degree. Right. Yeah, I'm sure there's I know there's studies about uh, and it's intuitive that there's uh, I guess a lot of social benefits or positive externalities of having a better educated workforce, more college educated individuals uh, in the city or in the labor market. So that makes sense that they're you know, trying to make this transition easier, especially given that that so many folks start in a two-year school. But I mean, I guess the, the fact that California thought that this was necessary or implemented this in the first place indicates to me that something wasn't working, or at least it wasn't working for everybody. So what wasn't working? And, and why was this transition from community colleges to four-year campuses so difficult? Yeah. So, I mean, first, it's important to know the scale of our system. We have 116 community colleges, 23 uh, CSUs, and, you know, 10 UC campuses. And so, previously, there were unique, major-specific, really bilateral agreements between pairs of colleges, community colleges, and, and CSUs, for example, again, as pairs, and the curricular requirements that differed across those different sending and receiving, uh, sending community colleges and receiving CSUs. And they didn't necessarily overlap to an, a particular associate's degree at a community college. And so this was, you know, added a layer of complexity and uncertainty for students. And again, with those rates of kind of transfer intending, but actually transfer uh, succeeding, it really ex- lengthened the time to be able to both transfer, but also once students arrived, had different sense of sort of what was requirement depending on the destination of their transfer campus. And so many students accumulated many more credits than they actually needed. And this lengthened their time to degree. Yeah, I think it's important you mentioned the scale of, of the higher ed, uh, the public higher ed system in California. I assume this must be one of the larger, if not the largest number of community colleges in a state? Yeah, it is definitely the largest public two-year system. I will actually give you another important statistic, which is that one in five community college students in the nation is a California community college student. Wow. So the scale of this issue and the, and the just the sheer number of people that would like to make this transition and plan to make this transition is just huge. And it does seem pretty inefficient, uh, bordering on silly even, to have a hundred different community colleges making their own sort of one-off agreements with the 15 or 20 California state universities that they're, and that's what they were doing, I guess it sounds like, right? They were just making sort of these one-off agreements and then hoping students would figure it out. That's right. And sometimes agreements weren't necessarily even formalized and they're different across majors. That's exactly right. So then- all those campuses have multiple majors, and then it's it's just a, a really tough problem for students that are trying to navigate a whole bunch of things during that transition. 
Yeah, Seth, can I add one other point there? I think another thing that's important is that students obviously aren't guaranteed admission to any one given campus. So a student who wants to transfer and has an idea of the set of schools to which they might transfer and the major or set of majors they might want to transfer into needed to then follow a bunch of different requirements, figure out what the requirements were across all these schools and try to fulfill each of those sets of requirements, which is you know, for major inefficiencies right. for students. Yeah. And it, I can imagine it's just so daunting that it might scare people off from transferring at all, even, you know, if they can't figure out, you know, what's going to count and what won't and, and so on and so forth. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think that's right. So that, I, I guess that raises an, an, another question, which is, there's an issue of getting admitted to the program. And that is separate from the issue of how many of a student's credits will transfer over. So there's are, are those separate but related sort of challenges that the student has to figure out. I think it's there are other dimensions here, which is that a lot of our CSUs are have impacted majors and, and even in some cases impacted campuses. And so it is not always clear uh, admission, how selective admission is per- for particular majors at particular campuses. It is important to know that um, they um, with an ADT, there is some priority in admission for CSU. And that how that plays out, depending on the major on the and on the campus, varies. Sure. But it... But, but I mean, yeah, but it, but it definitely helps Absolutely. To, to have that priority. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess you could also imagine that if you, you might get admitted somewhere, but they say, yeah, but you're going to have to redo a year of, of coursework. Even though you're admitted to the program, that extra year of coursework might effectively, you know, sort of take that off the table for you. And that might cause people to change their plan of study, too. Exactly. That's right. I think there was a, yeah. there was a lot and more unknown, I think, for students. That's right. 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 Yeah. Okay. So, so we'll come back to all of these, the consequence of the policy in a second, which I think is a fascinating problem and a, and a clever solution to that problem. Um, so what motivated your interest in this research? I know that McCall is currently at a UC school and Rachel, you used to be at one prior to moving to Penn. Did you notice things on the ground in your own department or with your own students? Or, you know, how generally did you get interested in this topic? I'll start. And Rachel, you may want to add, I I mean, I'll just say, you know, we are really unique state with this massive public higher education system with these three segments that have some interdependence on each other. And I think, you know, I've been researching policies that these California public colleges and universities for a long time, specifically reforms that, you know, with an effort to improve college attainments, specifically for historically underserved students, reducing inequality and college attainment more generally. And I think all the authors on this paper have a particular interest in community colleges. We're just strong belief in their mission and in the transfer function. And we teach, I mean, Rachel, formerly at, at, at Irvine and me at Davis, uh, teach and advise many community college transfer students. The far majority of transfer students end up at CSU, but still one in three undergraduate students at UC is a transfer student. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just echo that, that, you know, when I was teaching at UC Irvine, um, I taught an undergraduate class that for many students, you know, I taught in the fall and it was the first class they would have as freshmen or as transfer students. And so I talked to a lot of transfer students very early in their careers and they would talk to me about, you know, it was a class about education policy. So they would talk about how hard their transfer journey had been. And these are students who had ended up at UC Irvine, right? Like kind of 
very, very successful transfer students. And they talked about their confusion with the process. And so like individually, I had a lot of experience with and conversations with students who gave me a lot of insight into just how confusing this process was. But you living in California, you can't escape the fact I mean, like people are talking about this all the time. There are so many students in community college wanting to transfer and finding the process to be confusing. And there's a lot going on. And this policy, when it came on board, was really well advertised. And a lot of people were talking about it because it seemed like such a great step forward in terms of structuring um, the transfer process for students. How was it advertised? Was it advertised like on campuses or by advisors? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about this in McCauley News more. Individual campuses did a lot of advertising, and there was materials made at the state level that were given to schools. Um, There was this tagline, a degree with a guarantee. And so campuses did a fair bit of advertising, I think, um, to get the word out in terms of actually like putting materials up on campus, posters and stuff. But most of the information, as is always the case, comes through individual interactions with faculty and counselors on campus generally counselors at the community colleges. And so a lot of students were learning about this when talking to their counselors about their degree plans and pathways and what their goals were. So, I mean, it makes sense that a lot of it would target current community college students. I'm wondering, was there any outreach to high school seniors or potential community college students to to make that pathway more attractive in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that in general, this is part of a set of reforms that have existed in the last, um, sub, you know, the last decade plus that have tried to make this, you know, the path to be a more seamless for students. And that includes guided pathways and includes efforts to ensure that students have an education plan that's discussed with their advisors. And all of these play a role, I think, in trying to streamline the process. And this includes for many community colleges efforts to reach out to high school students while they're still in high school to apply and to to know that they have like a strong default at the community colleges that will lead them towards that BA goal. Oh, that's great. And then a side note that that I was wondering about being based in the Northeast where there's a lot more private schools, this ADT program in California really only, it's only effective for Cal State schools, public schools in the system. How does transferring to private universities work, or is that just like a second-order concern that's not so important here? Well, I definitely don't think it's second-order because, uh, as I mentioned, the CSUs are heavily impacted, and so I think many students are finding um, transfer destinations outside of the CSUs and, and the UCs. It is important to note that some independent private colleges for your universities in California are accepting the ADT, um, as are quite a few HBCUs that have articulated agreements with the California community colleges. Okay. But that's voluntary on their part. That's right. Okay. And so coming back to the ADT and the the implementation of the policy, the design of the policy, this seems like a huge undertaking given the the number of students, the number of community college campuses, the number of CSU campuses. Who actually sort of did the dirty work uh, to, to get things lined up and designed here? Yeah, no, that's right. Right. You know, 116 now um, community college campuses and 23 CSUs. Um, so there are a lot of moving parts there. And then right across all of those, there are the departments. So that, you know, it's 23 times, 114 times at this point, something like 30 right, or All the different majors. Yeah, exactly. So this was, it was rolled out in, we'll get into this later when we talk about, you know, our analysis, because this is hugely important for what we did, but it was rolled out um, successively in departments. So they did it in order, roughly in order of the kind of like 
size of the transfer cohort um, across these departments. So, you know, psychology and business were and communications were some of the first. And so there was a statewide committee comprised of faculty from the community colleges and from the CSUs who together created what they called a transfer model curriculum. So this was the general guidelines of what needed to be included in the curriculum before transfer and agreed upon by both the CSU and the community college. And that was at the statewide level. And once that was approved, then each campus had to create their own version of that saying, here are the classes we already offer, here are the ones we need to add to match the general curriculum that has been designed for this Major. And then that had to get approved at the local level and at the state level. So this is, you know, like it took many, many years and it's actually still ongoing for these degrees to be approved because it was, you know, these statewide processes and then would go down to the individual campuses and then back up. Was it ever contentious? Were there ever disagreements about what the content should look like? Or That's a great question. I don't know. I, I do know that some majors took longer than others and that, you know, um, I do know that some campuses, this was a lot of work for schools to um, have to redesign a major they've been offering for many, many decades. And they might not have the personnel, you know, to just devote to doing it. Exactly. Right. Right. So they had to make this happen on their campus. So then they would say maybe like, oh, this class that we um, already offer fits in in this way, but that had to be approved at the state level. So there was a lot of friction in terms of setting their curriculum, but then they couldn't actually offer it until it was approved at the state level. So that I think is where a lot of the friction came from, is that there are a lot of levels of kind of approval here, which really slowed schools down. And so once that daunting process was done, they you know, they, they created these ADT degrees. And the way I thought about it as I was reading your paper is that they're basically standardizing the first two years of coursework so that two years of coursework in a specific field, say like economics or whatever, two years is two years regardless of where you do it. And that solves this information problem of now everybody knows, everybody knows that two years is two years and you, you learn to these certain skills and and knowledge and whatever. And that's going to solve the information problem of transferring. Are there other theories of action or or mechanisms through which you think that the ADT would improve transfer student outcomes? Yeah, I mean, we think there are a number of potential mechanisms at work here. I think you named the information one being big, uh, the biggest. And then I think within that, I mean, I, I think this, the certainty for students about the transfer of credits, so it's sort of those um, guideposts for the BA and, and the transfer. So it's just to generally streamline the path to the BA um, and to have it no, you know, known to students. We also think, yeah. you know, yeah, taking yeah. away the risk is important, I think. I think, yes, exactly. And I think it's also, then there's this sort of actual students take fewer, potentially fewer classes to prepare for transfer destinations. Again, that depends if assuming they know what they want to study and when and when they start that ADT path, but it potentially. And then also, I think there's an important kind of way to think about it as a signal for, for being prepared for upper division work at the university. Again, understanding that this is a set of criteria to before you become a psychology major, this is what these are the set of courses you need, which we also believe hopefully will give them a signal about sort of that they're prepared for, uh, you know, the four year set of the courses at the four year institution. A signal to the student. 
to the students. And actually, they're also put, yeah, you like know, sort of like build confidence. Yeah, I think there are benefits to the four year institutions as well, right? They also, um, it's, it's a, a, again, anytime you're articulating kind of curricular dimensions, and it's an understanding of the kinds of students you're receiving from the community colleges, what were the what were they exposed to? What was curriculum like? So when that articulation happens that Rachel described, presumably, the four year institution also has a better sense of the kind of student that they're getting. We think that kind of coordination, that that sort of joint determination of what an associate's level degree looks like in economics and psychology and business is important for the four-year institutions as well. Yeah, I can imagine that it makes the, the onboarding process easier just because there's fewer, there's less, I, I guess, less variation in student preparation coming in, and that makes the onboarding easier. They can probably offer fewer classes, maybe. Those are the sorts of benefits that accrue to the to the four-year campuses. That's right. I think in, in, in receiving a sort of a more directed student towards that major. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So so that's the that's the policy. And coming back to your analysis, you mentioned the years that the policy was sort of implemented and it took a few years to design the ADT agreements. Let's start Though, with the data that you use to carry out your analysis, where does that data come from? How is it available? And what's key about that data for your analysis? So the data we use are a merged data set with student-level data from the community college chancellor's office. And so this is um, data from their applications, you know, demographic and financial data, combined with um, course enrollment data for every single class they've taken, and then degree data. And this data set that we used includes every student enrolled in the California Community College system from 1992 to 2014. And then we merged these data onto similar data, so application data, course enrollment data, degree data, for all students enrolled in the 23 Cal State, the um, CSU system. So we merged the two data that's using identifiable student, you know, student name and birthday and stuff. And who was collecting that second data set? CSU system. Okay. President's office collects that. So they, so they all had to sign off on the study. That's right. Both the um, California Community Colleges and the CSU system were real partners in this study. And um, McCall, over many decades, has cultivated really wonderful relationships with both of these systems. And both of the systems are really committed to understanding what's happening to their students and the impact of different policies and reforms. So they've been really wonderful partners, like necessary, obviously, because they share the data, but really interested in the research. Yeah, we. I think we've talked a few times uh, on this podcast about the the value of developing a, a good and trusting and and longstanding relationship between researchers and administrative bodies and policymakers and so on that that allow this type of important work. So that's uh, that's great. And then in terms of outcomes, what kinds of outcomes are you most interested in? In this paper, we focus really squarely on the four-year outcomes. So we're interested in degree outcomes at the CSU, so if they earn a BA or BS, and then their efficiency in doing so, so the number of semesters of enrollment at CSU and the number of years to degree. So, you know, do you complete the four-year degree? How long does it take? Do you look at the major? We do, yeah. And um, so when we were talking earlier about mechanisms, right, so 
the one really um, kind of obvious mechanism is that this degree could induce students to be more likely to stay in the major that they earned at their community college, right? So upon transfer to stay in their major, and then upon um, once they get to the CSU to stay in their same major from start to finish. We don't actually find super strong evidence that that is an explaining mechanism, but we do look at it major as one of the outcomes as well in um, terms of staying in their same major. And I guess th- I know or at least I think I know, majors, the average earnings vary by major. Mm-hmm. Is that something you, you thought about, or, or is that an outcome that, that this policy might affect, like helping people shift into more lucrative majors? Yeah, for sure, right. So um, if you can imagine a student, right, who's at a community college and has decided that they for sure want to transfer, sees one of these pathways as a more um, kind of sure bet for in terms of being able to transfer. And this could absolutely affect kind of degree choice, right, at the community college and then upon transfer. We don't see super strong evidence of that, to be honest, that it really affected. So you could look at this in a bunch of different ways, but we don't see evidence that um, degrees that weren't offering ADTs were losing students to these ADT fields. So we don't see a ton of evidence that is shifting composition. To be honest, and we'll get into our analytics strategy in a little bit, we can't look at that in a fully kind of um, conclusive way, but all the evidence we have is that there's not a ton of shifting of students across majors. But the punchline effect is that there, there is a benefit for four-year completion. Yeah. So what we estimate is that there's a 0.62 percentage point increase in probability of earning a BA, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the baseline is 17.4%. So that's actually a three and a half percent increase over the base. We see that this is driven entirely by increased transfer rates. So we see that evidence that ADTs induced community college students to be more likely to transfer, but then a Conditional on transferring, there's no increase or decrease, for that matter, in probability of earning a BA upon transfer. So it, it didn't like set people up to fail in the sense of, of causing transfers that then didn't complete, which is important. That's right. Right. I think like kind of a null effect on transfer, con- on BA attainment, conditional on transfer is actually a, a good effect, right? When we're seeing an increase in transfer and then conditional on transfer, they have the same probability of earning a BA. That's a positive finding there. So in a sense, you might even say, I mean, those are those are the exact students that the policy was designed to help because they clearly had the ability to complete a four-year degree and they had they had the interest in doing so, but maybe it was the 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 lack of confidence or the risk or the uncertainty about what you had to do. For whatever reason, they were sort of on the margin of transferring and this sort of pushed them over the edge to transfer. And then once they did, they attained this lucrative degree that, and it's win-win for everybody. Yeah, that's right. I do want to say that I think our estimates are on the conservative end due to kind of, you know, what we had in terms of being able to identify a causal effect. So we can't really look at um, heterogeneity across departments but there, or schools, but this is leaving a lot of room for like some departments and some schools did this really well. And we think that this is potentially absorbing some of these like effects of schools and departments that really threw themselves into this and made it really effective pathways for students. So we're kind of absorbing a lot of these school and departmental effects that we think could be really important for students. Yeah, it would be an, an interesting follow-up study maybe to to know more about which of these ADT creations for specific fields or majors, like which of them were, which of them went more smoothly, which of them 
sort of had more buy-in from all the different departments and stakeholders. I, I can definitely see that that varying. But you mentioned identifying the causal effect of the policy, and that's something we always pay attention to on the podcast, is sorting out, are we identifying the actual effect of the policy, or are we just capturing you know something else that was happening at the same time that that really didn't have anything to do with the policy? This wasn't an experiment in any sense, so there's no natural control group. So what strategy did you take to ensure that you are identifying the causal effect of the policy? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's obviously a major concern whenever you're doing policy analysis, um, because policies aren't enacted in a vacuum. They're very randomly kind of, um, or they're very rarely randomly assigned. So there's a lot of things happening that could also affect student outcomes. So when actually to take a step back, when we look at raw differences in outcomes between the students who earned ADTs and those who transferred having earned a traditional associate degree or having transferred earning no community college degree, which is an option, we see really big differences. So students who transfer with ADTs are like 10 percentage points more likely to earn a bachelor's degree. They graduate much, much more quickly, about four months, and they earn fewer units at the CSU. But these differences could reflect the causal effect of these degrees, or they could be picking up student selection into these degrees, right? That the students who are most well-connected, the students who are most motivated to earn bachelor's degrees, the students who are the most savviest for whatever kind of informational reasons, they're opting into these degrees. Or, as we talked about earlier, the degrees aren't offered at equal rates across majors or across community colleges. So these differences could also reflect baseline differences in student success. So if bio majors tend to earn bachelor's degrees at higher rates and biology is one of the first departments to offer ADTs and they offer more ADTs, then we could just be picking up these kind of compositional differences. So we leverage the fact that like bureaucracy is slow and, you know, policy implementation is slow. And so as we talked about, these degrees were introduced in majors, right, that had to be approved at the state level. But then after being approved at the state level, it had to be um, implemented at the college. So we have a ton of variation within colleges across degrees, but then also within departments across colleges um, over time. So we kind of leverage the fact that these were rolled out in this really phased way, rather than them all being introduced in the same academic year, in which case we would have no idea if this was you know, an effect of the policy or effect of other changes happening at the same time. So how long was that time span of the rollout from the first few to the last few? I don't know exactly. I'd say the there are still some that are being introduced now, 10 years okay. later. But I mean, this is spread out over many years. Yeah, yeah. So within the first three years, we see a ton of implementation. You know, um, there's a lot of action, but then there's this kind of long tail of degrees continuing to be offered. Okay. And so then you're basically comparing students that are otherwise similar, but they either were or were not on a campus in a department with an ADT. Right. So we're basically using um, what's essentially a triple difference strategy. So you're using students in the same major on different campuses or in the same campus in different majors or in the same major and the same campus, but in a different cohort to estimate a sort of counterfactual. What would have happened to them, these students, had they not had access to an ADT? Right. And then the argument is that otherwise they're the same. And it it just so happened that one person, you know, you were on the right campus at the right time when that particular ADT came out. That's right. Right. So we're assuming that students are not selecting campuses based on the availability of these degrees. Mm -hmm. We allow for some selection of major, and we'll get into that later, and that they're not selecting into cohorts based on the availability. And 
the biggest concern to me would be that they are choosing campuses that have this very nice feature, but I assume that most people just go to the the nearest campus, is, and and that helps your analysis. Yeah. So I, so two things. One is that by and large students attend the nearest community college. There's some selection, and you know if there's a major that's offered, but mostly students are going to the school that is most convenient to them. The other piece of evidence I think bolstered our confidence in this is that. In speaking with counselors on campuses, they were telling us that despite the state and the system putting a lot of you know, effort and time and money into advertising these degrees, that student awareness of them was still relatively low, so that there wasn't a ton of opportunity for student selection into these degrees, you know, like upon choosing a major initially or a, certainly a campus, because students didn't know about them until they were mostly already kind of enrolled in a program. And we see evidence of that still in that students who apply to a Cal State campus, having earned one of these degrees, a very high percentage of them don't know that they've earned this degree on their application to the CSU. They might not know that they've earned it. And many, many students who have not earned these degrees and are not anywhere close kind of curricularly to earning them, note that they have earned the degree, right? It says an associate degree for transfer. I earned an associate. I want to transfer. I think I earned this degree. So I think that like the lack of information, well, like is problematic in a lot of ways, allows us to make some um, bigger assumptions about student selection. That actually reminds me of, of something I was wondering. When they created an ADT for, uh, I don't know, like for nursing or something, did that eliminate and replace the, the previous associate's degree in nursing? Or were there now two separate degrees? That's a great question. Yeah. So that was a campus decision. So some campuses continued to offer their local associate's degree. Um, and so students could, and many students did, earn two associate's degree in the same field, one in ADT and one in traditional AA. Um, some campuses didn't allow them to be offered or for students to earn both of them. So there's a, a lot of variability there. Okay. But there's no, I can't see how there'd be any direct benefit to having both. That's a good question. McCall, do you know why student campuses would decide to keep both? I think in many cases, it was an expanded set of courses that they still wanted to offer, but but that maybe didn't, you know, fit in. So, um, you know, a set of, you know, curricular kind of electives and otherwise that may enhance the overall associate's degree, but maybe didn't fit into the the ADT. In terms of your question, I think it's a good empirical question. We do observe students who get one or the other or both, and we could sort of look down the road. I, I don't expect that there would be a huge um, benefit. But again, um, as Rachel has mentioned, sort of some students may have actually overlapped on what the local associates um, requirements are, but don't even necessarily kind of pick one up, if you will. They just st- stay with the ADT or with the associates. The only reason to keep the old one I could think would be maybe maybe there's like a local employer that's been hiring people with that particular degree for a long time. And they don't know what the new ADT thing is, but they just want people that have the degree they've always hired or something like that. Yeah, there may be in, in certain fields. Yeah. That's right. Or in, in um, yeah. That f- but this brings up, I guess, the, the other big question that comes up in these sorts of policies, which is policymakers can only do so much. School administrators can only do so much. They can give access to the ADT. But then, and a lot of times we think that is the policy, is giving access to this thing. But then it's it's up to the student to actually enroll in and complete the ADT. And 
I think you look at the effect of both things, right? You look at the effect of earning an ADT on subsequent outcomes, but you also estimate the effect of access to the ADT on student outcomes. Is that right? And if so, what are the are there any differences that you see there? Yeah, so we actually so that's right. And I think that like Offering an ADT is often the, um, or offering a policy is often the kind of like policy relevant estimate, yeah. right? Because you want to know what happens when you offer this, not necessarily to the specific students who take it up. But we actually see back to a previous point you made that offering the ADT is it's important to take use that in the analysis because there is still the opportunity. You just brought up that a student could, you know, potentially choose between a traditional AA and an associate's degree in the same major for the same cohort at the same college. So there's still some possibility of student selection. So we actually do use an instrument, which is, did the student have access to the associate's degree as kind of our main causal analysis here? So we, at the major by campus by cohort cell, we you know, just say, yes, the students had access to an ADT or they didn't, and use that to estimate the causal effect. We also, you know, um, to be, you know, totally safe and taking into account that students can still choose majors and students might choose majors based on the availability of ADTs, we actually then define availability at a slightly larger level where we say in a group of related majors, and we define these in a couple different ways, was there access to an ADT with the assumption that, you know, a student might be willing to choose between physics and computer science and switch between the two for the ability availability of an ADT, but not between maybe like English and physics or something like that. So we allow for some student selection um, between kind of similar majors at their campus. And this is what we present as our kind of like main analysis. And then we use the kind of treatment on the treated um, estimates to look at what is the effect for students who actually earn the degree. But we use this kind of availability measure. So the availability measure, we typically call the ITT or intent to treat estimate. Uh, and I agree with you. I think that's the more policy relevant thing. That's the, I guess, easier to estimate effect uh, in your setting. So remind us again, what is the baseline ITT estimate then? What is the baseline estimate effect of access to an ADT? And then how does that compare to the estimated effect of receiving an ADT? Yeah, so our intentatory estimates, the ITT, we find, so what I told you earlier, right, was that we find this effect of earning a bachelor's degree for students who start at community college is 0.62 percentage points. Because this is all driven by the margin of transfer, right, this is increasing transfer from the community college to the four-year school, but then conditional on attending the four-year school, we see no difference in BA attainment rates. So that the kind of like approach we use in this four-year examination at the CSU, um, the ITT versus the TOT doesn't change that estimate because that is zero in both cases. For the, um, the other thing that we look at is measures of efficiency, and we look at terms at degree, and then units at degree. In the ITT, we find an estimate of about 0.4 fewer units. So the intent to treat is, you know, that students were earning less than one fewer unit. When we scale that up using the treatment on the treated, we find about three fewer units at degree. And a unit is a course or like a credit? A credit. So a class at um, the CSU is generally three to four credits. McCall, correct me if I'm wrong on that, though. That's correct. No, that's correct. So it, it's it's kind of like shaving one course off on average. That's right. 
Yeah. And so that's, and that's important in the sense of it, it's time, but it's also the, the tuition money that students are saving. Yeah, that's right. Right. So for, you know, an additional course, there's the actual costs of tuition and fees and books, which we estimate using, you know, kind of CSU numbers to be about $1,000. But then that's right, there's the time cost for students and also foregone earnings. And the fact that taking an additional course can at times push students into another semester. So there's like actual months of potential right. earnings. And I guess it could also, it's, you know, extra hours of studying that could take away, you mentioned work, it could also like affect your your other your performance in other classes it could interfere with family obligations so even though the numbers sometimes sound small these are are meaningful differences in in people's lives and when you scale it up to this huge huge system right that many many students are affected by this i think that also kind of puts everything in perspective yeah right this isn't just a handful of kids in one school this is i mean literally thousands of of young people in the state so i think you mentioned that you don't really have the granularity to look at whether different types of students, either by major or uh, maybe by by geography, were differentially affected by the policy. Um, you know, what, if anything, can you say about uh, differential effects? I mean, they're, they're, on some level, we know that there's students who are sort of right on the margin of being affected by the policy. Do we have any any sense of who they are? So what we can look at is we did look for heterogeneous effects by student subgroups, so by student race, ethnicity, gender, performance in the community college, financial aid status, and we don't find any statistically significant differences. Our sample sizes are much, much smaller once we get down to these groups, of course. So we have some pretty wide range of, you know, like kind of confidence intervals, but we don't find anything significant. So across demographic groups, the effect is is just sort of like uniform. Yeah. I mean, like it, it bounces around. The estimates look different from each other, but never statistically significantly different from each other. So all we can say is that they look pretty similar across groups. I think what's important, though, is there's no real theoretical evidence or reason to believe that the mechanisms would function differently across groups, right? Like there's no reason to believe that a certain race or ethnicity would be affect, more or less affected by this. But the community college demographics, the population of students who are in these schools don't match that which is in the four-year schools or that, you know, even kind of reflect other states or even California. Um, So when we say we have even effects across groups, that still means that the net increase for Latinx students is much larger than for other groups, right? There are kind of like the effect is the same across groups, but there are certain groups of students because they're enrolled in these schools that are benefiting much more. So all these effects that we've talked about are are similar, but again, it's really for those who transfer, so, so conditional and transferring out of the community college, either in your data or just anecdotally talking to people. Is it possible that the ADT changed the composition of who's transferring or to which campus they're transferring to or things like that? That is a great question. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just was going to say, I think we do think, you know, the change there's, I think Rachel just alluded to it. It's important to know that the changing demographics of in general of who's enrolled at community colleges. So we do think this policy has a, effectively been particularly successful for Latinx students because they make up, a, you know, a large majority of 
of the community college students and the transfer attending students and were in many ways um, impeded by these kind of inefficient kind of transfer pathways. And, and so that's important to recognize, even though, the, as we've summarized, the, the mechanisms and the overall policy have been the same. I do think, again, this notion of a planned bachelor's degree of, in a particular field has made it more attainable to students when they think about applying to four-year campuses. The fact that they have an ADT that guarantees them kind of junior status at a particular community colleges has changed the landscape for many students. And I think, you know, when we close, we'll mention this is not, this legislation hasn't stopped there. I think there's an increasing new legislation in California with an effort to ensure that all courses that students take at community colleges feed an ADT. And so the additional effort to streamline the transfer, to ease that transfer pipeline when it is the critical vehicle for so many California students to get to the BA. Now, of course, we do have an impacted four-year system. And so these transfer to the point that you're making, these transfer pathways are only as good as that there are receiving these transfer students. And so California absolutely needs to address some of the impacted um, bachelor's degree programs, particularly in regions of the state that just don't have enough spaces, particularly like, for example, Southern California, where there just are, you know, impacted campuses and majors with a lot of BA intending transfer students. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right for sure. And that is related, I guess, to the another you know thing I was wondering about as I read your paper, which is also related to I guess the sort of increasing maybe skepticism as the, of the value of higher education in general, increasing you know debate or or discussion about the cost of higher education. If we think about this policy. We mentioned at the beginning that it took several years to draw up what the ADT would look like for all these different degree programs. It was a big investment by personnel uh, at all levels of the state education system. It was it was costly in that sense. If we think about a cost-benefit analysis or cost-benefit comparison of this policy, do you have any any sense of how you would even start to do that or or sort of start to account for how the cost compares to these benefits we've talked about in terms of, you know, save students a little out-of-pocket tuition money, saves them some time, about half a class, a class. You know, a skeptic might say that, well, the benefits are, are pretty modest. There was this big undertaking. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about a cost-benefit analysis of, of the ADT program in general? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I think you articulated the kind of work and the labor involved, and California is a kind of high organized labor state, so faculty time to sit and do that articulation is expensive. And so we do think some of those costs at the beginning are high, but the cost of maintenance are potentially low, right? So we likely could see continued benefits of transfer yeah, um, and degree attainment. Point. There's huge upfront costs to doing this, but but moving forward, that's it. Exactly. And I think um, the idea of streamlining what lower division courses look like in general, general education, and what, what places where they could even further overlap, you know, um, dare I say, kind of common course numbering and, and all these other things that are just really in the benefit of, of students may take, may cost initially to get going. But I think the benefits given that we see, for example, such continued lower rates than we want of transfer students, again, approximately a third is really important, I think. Um, 
while not not directly your question, we do know there's a real you know crisis for community colleges right now in terms of enrollment declines in the pandemic. And so any effort we can do to help students once they do start, come back or restart after pausing, hopefully just a pause of their education, then that we can ensure that they meet that kind of bachelor's degree goal more efficiently and more quickly, I think will be really important. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, and I think another sort of indirect benefit is that Ultimately, this is making starting a four-year degree in a community college a safer and more attractive option. And by doing that, you're cutting the the full cost of a four-year degree by a lot, right? So the so in terms of the you know debate concerns about loans and the, the cost of a four-year degree, this is a, a cost-cutting measure, perhaps, in that it it makes a four-year degree much safer and easier to obtain and cheaper. That's right. I think we always believed that was implicitly part of the transfer function of the community colleges. And I think the ADTs have made that a more explicit focus that that is exactly the goal. I think what, the way you said that is exactly right. Yeah. So I, I, I can see how that would be a, uh, an effective you know, uh, political argument in favor of, of adopting these types of ADT programs in other states, maybe, um, or even expanding the one in in California. I, I think you said that there's still some ADT creation ongoing in California. Did I hear you right? That's right. There are still majors that aren't currently in some CSUs yeah. that are working on ADT articulation. That's right. So, the, so, so in that sense, this is kind of like an, an ongoing initiative in California. Right, implementing ADTs, and I would say additionally, um, California recently, uh, you know, adopted or, or passed legislation for additional strengthening behind the ADT with uh, Assembly Bill nine two eight, which aims to actually further strengthen the coursework that students take at community colleges to count towards the BA. So it and actually it creates a uh, an implementation committee, if you will, that actually looks more closely at at further consolidating transfer pathways to, you know, towards eventually eventual goal of a of a, either a singular pathway or just more overlap across pathways so that again students expectations for what's required for one campus versus another, including the UCs, looks more similar. And have you noticed that have other states noticed what California is doing? Is there is there interest in doing something similar anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, I think we have we have kept up. And I don't know if Rachel you want to talk about some other. Yeah, other states have done a greater. Uh, you know, either some some are behind California and some are ahead of California in articulation policies. But again, the scale is very different, and so you have campuses that might accept more widely from the states community colleges. But again, that's a much smaller number, and so uh, an individual four year institution can reach out or can work closely with the community college system to kind of articulate across its programs, not necessarily uh, with another four-year institution in mind. Are there any states in particular that stand out? I'm trying to, I mean, I I guess I know New York has a a pretty good public university system. Maybe Michigan, are are other places, are there some states with, I know no one's on California scale, but uh, are there states that do have larger systems that, that are wading into this? A lot of states, they have these all these different flavors of it, right? So like common course numbering is one where the same course 
the same content has the same number across every public school in a state. But in terms of like making the transfer process easier for students, more streamlined, more structured across a state, Florida has done a lot of work. Virginia has done a lot of work. Texas has done a lot of work. There are a number of states that are, yeah, Washington's done. So there are a number of states that are kind of like, it looks a little different across these. And I think California has a unique flavor in this kind of like statewide mandate that they have these degrees. But there are a lot of states that are, I mean, transfer is a big problem everywhere. So um, a lot of states are doing real, I think like theoretically driven and pretty clean and like well-designed um, interventions across a number of states and with mixed, you know, in ter- just like California, like things work, but not perfectly, not as well as anyone mm-hmm. hopes. And so what advice uh, or instruction or guidance would you offer to policymakers, whether they're at the state level or university system level, community college campus level. Are there any, you know, key lessons that you learned in your research of the ADT in California that you think is important that other jurisdictions take heed of? Yeah, I mean, I think um, what, and I just, I did want to shout out to North Carolina, because I think it's another state that's been thinking a lot about articulation. So I think that the real promise of programs like this are First, it's reducing the kind of information barriers that are we've put like undue burden on students to figure out what counts for for different um, campuses and for different majors. And so, uh, you know, streamlining that has huge benefits to the individual student trying to make their way through across multiple public systems. That's the first. And then second, I think articulation between the two segments, in this case, community colleges and, and four-year institutions, uh, should strengthen um, the expectations and the kind of understanding standing between both systems that is like having better sense of what it what a lower division set of courses looks like in a major should improve the ability of upper division courses to be offered in a way that meets both better expectations for students but also for the faculty who teach them and then finally i think the idea that students have a sense of what the timeline looks like and what what to expect i think from a ba in any one of these majors has i think important promise for not just for their own completion but for their labor market opportunities. It is bureaucratically, logistically, politically hard to do a lot of these things, to make major changes, major overhauls. First step that I think is very compelling and that, you know, it's administrators and policymakers should always be doing is just looking at each of the things we're asking students to do from the student perspective and say, like, imagine I am a student at College X and I want to transfer to one of these three colleges. How do I figure out what I need to do and what are the steps? And when you start looking at a lot of these things that we're asking students to do, they're incredibly complicated and they're kind of just like processes accreting upon each other to the point where it's this, you know, morass of Byzantine morass of like policies and procedures. And I think taking a step back and trying to pull away and, you know, decomplexify some of these steps that we're asking students to do can shed a lot of light onto like where are the particular pain points and how can we simplify. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of kind of like political know-how and power to get this done. But I think you can start to understand why our outcomes look like they do when you see what students are asked to overcome. Very well said. I agree 100% that there seems to be a lot of unnecessary complexity and hurdles that could uh, and are being removed sort of slowly but surely with these types of uh, policy changes that really do take a lot of effort from a lot of people working together. 
but it, it seems like it's working and it seems like uh, other, you know, it's not just California. It seems like other systems and states are paying attention and, and working on the same problem. So we're, we're about out of time then. I really appreciate both of you taking the time to talk about your important work today. Is there any one last point that either or both of you would like to leave our listeners with? Just that I think this this route, uh, the community college route to BA is going to become increasingly more important as we kind of face declining enrollments in general in, the, in this post-pandemic period. Yes. Agreed. And in concert with, with uh, concerns about the, the cost of higher education, I think, too. Yeah. Well, thanks again, uh, both of you, for taking the time to talk with us today about your article. Uh, you'll be able to find the article on JPAM's website shortly. Our guests today have been Dr. Rachel Baker of the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education and Dr. McCall Kurlander of UC Davis School of Education. Thanks again both so much for coming on and, and talking with me today. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Well, take care. And until next time, I'm your host, Seth Gershenson of American University, and hope to see you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of JPAM, the Journal of Policy Analysis and Management, in conjunction with American University's School of Public Affairs. Please follow us on the APAM website and search for the JPAM podcast.